It's great to have Graham Walker back with us. Graham visited us about three years ago. We were uh, checking our calendars, and um, when we were in the Sixth Form Common, Graham is a representative of Open Doors UK. We are a church who financially uh, and prayerfully support Open Doors UK. It's also great with you, to have you with us. John uh, has come down from Whitney, a lovely part of the countryside. So great to have you with us as well. And uh, before I hand over to, to Graham, Graham's asked me to read a very short and familiar passage from Philippians 3, 5 to 11, I think it was, was it? Yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> okay, Philippians 3, 5 to 11, and I just think it probably sets a bit of a context for what Graham is going to share with us this morning. It says this, it's speaking of the Apostle Paul, if anyone else thinks he has reason for the confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless, but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the unsurpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I have stuffed the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And just by way of introduction to Graham, I'll let you introduce yourself. We've just, just as a reminder, we'll be having a, a teaching series really on uh, the body of Christ and just really believe what Graham brings today on behalf of Open Doors will really just play into the mix of our understanding and revelation of um, really what God wants to do in our mix. So would you want to put hands together and give a warm billericky welcome to Graham. Thank you, Graham. Were you here last time I was here? Um, and whether you remember me, but it doesn't really matter. It's great to be here. It's great to share in your worship time together. I'm a fairly local boy, actually. I live um, near Basildon, so I haven't had to come too far this morning. I heard you've got somebody coming to speak in about a month's time, so actually I might come to join you for that meeting because I'm very interested in what they do as well. Now, I understand from Andy that you've been looking recently at the role of the Church of Jesus Christ and its purpose. And I believe this is to be commended. I think it's extremely important to do that sort of thing. If more churches did that, I think we would be much more effective. It would make a significant difference, I believe, particularly if we look at examples not just in our own environment, but we look at examples of churches that are not in the West. David Watson, and this is a book I just picked up in our pastor's study the other day, But listen to what David Watson says on the cover of his book. He says, it's a book about discipleship. And he says, Christians in the West have largely neglected what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The vast majority of Western Christians are church members, pew fillers, hymn singers, sermon lasters. Remember that one, just in case I go on a bit. (laughs) Bible readers, ever born again believers or spirit-filled charismatics, but not true disciples of Jesus. Now, that's pretty hard-hitting stuff, isn't it? 
He says further, if we were willing to learn the meaning of true discipleship and actually become disciples, the church would be transformed and the resultant impact on society would be staggering. This is no idle claim. It happened in the first century AD. Now that was written in the early 1980s to a church that was largely pulling itself apart at the time. But I think it's just as important today that we listen to what that says. Why? Well, let me tell you that when I was in Egypt recently and spent some time with our partners there in that country, he said pretty much exactly the same things to us who were visiting him. What he actually said was, in the West, you are happy to open your checkbooks, which is good, of course, because they need the funds to be able to do the work. But this work requires for us to be committed to Christ totally. And it's a battle that's only one on our knees. You see, Eric and his team are in the front line of a spiritual battle. And the main battle, he says, is not against Islamic radicalism, but the battle is against the evil one and his deceptions. He said, ask yourself, how many commit suicide every day and take themselves straight into the hands of the evil one? How many are hoodwinked by the trappings of the world? How much time do we give to other nonsense We had a lot of discussion about that one in the evening, how much time we spend on other nonsense. When our goal should only be to bring Christ to the world, to bring true disciples. Eric also said, please don't pray for the persecution to stop. Now, I've heard that said in meetings before, but when he actually said that to us, somebody there in the front line He said, don't pray for the persecution to stop. Pray for us to remain strong, to stand firm in our faith, to be able to keep shining, to give us resilience. And something else that will remain with me for a long time, he said, our lives are not in the hands of the terrorist or the bomber. Only God determines our lifespan." Now, we might all submit to that and say, yes, of course, we believe that. But there's a difference between where you're sitting and where I normally sit and where these people are sitting on the front line. He said, unfortunately, in the, in the West, he believes we're more afraid of losing our job, our freedom, our health, our money, or something else. And once we do this, we lose our ability to shine So he said, for us to live for Christ is all. That, by the way, was the escort that we had when we travelled from Cairo to Upper Egypt, where we were visiting some more of the work that was taking place further down the country. That's what it's like in Egypt, on the front line. You see, for these churches just to exist means a daily sacrifice of commitment that most of us, if we're honest, will never really understand. You see, these believers face persecution 
and they can't adopt any other lifestyle except a dangerous one. Because if they are serious about their faith, that is simply what it means to be a Christian in these countries. Let me tell you the story of Kim Sang-hwa, who's uh, from North Korea, and she was actually at our conference last November. She said, in our house was a hidden closet, and I accidentally found it. I don't know why, but I started to feel inside the cabinet, and my hand, I felt something. I felt a book, and I pulled it out. I flicked it open and began to read from the beginning, and it said, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Genesis 1.1. Immediately, I stopped reading, and I began to shiver. And I dropped the book to the ground. I was so scared, my discovery could cost me my life. I was afraid to even touch it, but I couldn't just leave it there. So I closed my eyes, took a deep breath, picked the book up again and put it back where I'd found it. I now faced the biggest choice of my life. Should I tell my teachers? Should I betray my parents? And for 15 days, I couldn't decide what to do. My mind was in turmoil. I knew it was my duty to report this illegal book. But I also wanted to know about this God that I just read about. So I finally plucked up the courage to ask my father. It's unlikely that your childhood would have been anything like that. Mine certainly wasn't. But at the age of 12, Kim Sang-hwa from North Korea discovered her parents' secret Bible. And this was a family secret that could get everybody killed in that country. Now what do you do? You've grown up worshipping leaders as gods. There's pictures everywhere of them. They're in pride of place in your home. They're in the school. They teach you at school about reading and writing and spying on your family for such a situation as this, that you might find a Bible and then you're to bring it into your teachers to get a prize. The prize is your family will be taken away and you won't see them again. Here's the choice. Do you betray your parents and see them go to the labour camp? Or do you listen to their story and believe in Jesus and sign up for a dangerous choice too? A dangerous life as well. What would you do? Well, at 12 years old, Kim Sang-hwa chose to begin her story of dangerous faith. Andy read there for us from Philippians 3. And these are Paul's words, of course, written around 61 AD. And he's writing these words while he's in prison in Rome. And he's writing to one of the churches he's planted, this one in Philippi. You can read more about that in Acts 16 if you want to. Um, You know, it's the famous story of Lydia, who's a seller of purple and a business lady coming to the Lord. And then, of course, there's the famous jailbreak, isn't there? And the Philippian jailer. Imagine now, Philippi is something like a thousand miles from Rome. It's in Macedonia, northern Greece. 
And yet everything there feels like Rome. The smells, the sounds, everything, the worship that's going on. It's just like a mini Rome. Previously, your loyalty was to Caesar, but now you're part of a small, brave minority trying to work out how to follow Jesus in face of this persecution which is taking place. You've heard the tales of Paul planting churches and the dangerous things that have happened and the endurance and the miracles that have taken place. And there's an air of excitement and expectation in the room as Paul's letter is opened and read. You see, Paul is writing to this church to inspire them, to encourage them, for they're a fledgling church and they're learning in the darkest of darkest times as they face suffering of how to do that and how to bear with it. And quite frankly, I have to tell you, here we are in 2000 and whatever it is, 20 now, isn't it? (laughs) The years pass me by these days. But this is a setting in 2020 that's very similar to those millions of Christians that face persecution day in and day out now. Now, we've read this so many times in the New Testament, but it has a theme running through it. The theme is following Jesus isn't safe. It's not the safe thing to do. It should carry a public health warning, for it has a cost, or at least it should have a cost. You see, Dangerous Faith is a story of the early church, It was Paul's story and it's the story of many today. And we are invited to share in that story for it to be part of our lives as well. As a German theologian, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and he said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. For the first followers of Jesus, faith wasn't about self-preservation, safety and comfort. Dangerous faith was all they knew. The New Testament was written by persecuted Christians to Christians who were living under persecution. They were flung to the lions. They were burned at the stake. And history tells us that even Paul ended up being beheaded. And if you know about anything about the Reformation in this country, you know very similar things were done to the martyrs in those times so that we were able to have a Bible free for us to read and learn about Christ and do the things that we do today here because of those who were prepared to lay down their lives. You see, following Jesus has never really been safe. But if we're honest... If we're really honest, we we tend to default, don't we, to safe faith. But true faith has never been safe. Let me share some of the reality of the dangerous things that are happening in 2020. You're familiar with this, I know. You're supporters of Open Doors. You'll be familiar with our World Watch List and uh, the World Watch List map which details the top 50 countries where it is most difficult to be a Christian. 
I've got copies of these here with me today, so you can take one of those with you if you wish, and uh, a lot of other literature as well, but I'll be talking about that a little later. But this is where these things are happening. This is where there is cost. That's the number. Now try and get your head around that. Around 260 million Christians right now, today, are facing extreme or high levels of persecution. Let's put that, uh, try and put that into context. That's probably something like one in eight. When I did this talk last year, we were talking about one in nine, one in ten. So persecution is increasing. Put another way, that's one in eight Christians globally. Now, we're part of that statistic as well. Where are we? Well, we're the other seven. So what's our role? The role of the other seven who are not being persecuted? Well, the first thing, you probably know this, the first thing that you can do, that anybody can do, no matter what your means, your position, how able-bodied you are, or anything else, there's one thing that we can all do. Anybody want to offer what that might be? To pray, absolutely. And I would encourage you to continue to pray each day for our brothers and sisters who suffer in this way. We can also speak up on their behalf. We call that advocacy. We do that regularly in the Houses of Parliament. Again, you'll be familiar with the launch of the World Watch List that takes place every January. And last year, when Jeremy Hunt was Foreign Secretary, do you remember that? <laughs> it's a long time in politics, isn't it, last year? But actually, he was uh, very interested in what Open Doors did, and he commissioned a report about the persecution of Christians. And uh, that report was produced and presented to the Foreign Office. Now, it comes in the name of the Bishop of Truro, but I have to tell you that Open Doors did most of the work, and Matthew Rees, particularly our Head of Advocacy, did most of the work on that report. When, of course, Jeremy Hunt got voted out and we had all the changes, there was a great worry that that wouldn't be utilised because the idea was the Foreign Office would actually challenge these countries who have signed up to the uh, Human Rights Act where they're not giving human rights to Christians and to others. You might have seen on the news recently those Muslims that were being attacked in India and they actually beat one to death. And that's the same thing that's happening to Christians that made the BBC because it was Muslims, okay, and not because they were Christians. <laughs> and that's what you tend to find a little bit of bias in the, uh, in the media. But that aside, this is what's happening. And today, I understand, it's, uh, it's actually International Women's Day. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah good. I'm oh, sure the women did. <laughs> well, it is. And uh, we've launched another report today. Um, that's been issued with regard to the programme that we ran about sea change, uh, which is a, a campaign which said that, that women suffer twice. They suffer because of their gender and they suffer because they're Christians as well. And we, we did a lot on that last year. Um, but I haven't got time to go into that now, but we can talk about that afterwards if you like. And then thirdly, of course, what I know you're already involved in is that we can help through giving. There are physical needs out there for our brothers and sisters. Um, you know, many of them find they're actually in situations where they're starving. In North Korea, for example, 
and of course in the Yemen. Very difficult for them. And so we have to provide for physical needs, food, clothing, blankets, medicines. And of course we look after their spiritual needs as well. Smuggling Bibles in and teaching materials and, and giving training and trauma care. We've actually set up some places called Centres of Hope where women, particularly in Africa and uh, in um, the Middle East, who've lost their husbands, lost the breadwinner in the family, can come and have this trauma counselling and this care and we get alongside them and we help them to carry on living knowing Christ is still with them despite what they've gone through. So there's a number of things that we can do. If we break down these statistics a little bit more, just to try and give you a, a bit more of a flavour, directly you go into sub-Saharan Africa, this figure now increases to one in five. And then if we move on to Asia, you can see that it goes up to two in five. And then furthermore, if we move to the Middle East and North Africa, you're talking about four in five who will be persecuted. That's 80% in those countries. Now at this point, I think I have a break from my voice and perhaps, Pete, if we could just play the video, that would be great, please. This tells you a little bit more just about the top five countries and uh, where persecution is, is worst at the moment. What would you do if your faith put you in danger? If it meant facing insults and abuse, not getting a job or education, being assaulted, imprisoned, even killed? Hundreds of millions of Christians live in countries where choosing to follow Jesus means danger and persecution. And these are the five countries where their faith costs the most. Number five, Pakistan where Christians can be falsely accused of blasphemy. They are denied education and work opportunities. Churches are bombed. Christians are jailed on false charges. But Pakistani Christians are determined to meet to worship. Number four, Libya, where there are only some 150 Libyan Christians. Churches for Libyans are forbidden. Christian migrants are targeted executed by militants or sold into slavery. But Libyans are coming to Christ through TV, radio and web. Number three, Somalia, where Christians can be killed on the spot. All citizens are assumed to be Muslims. Militant groups want to eradicate all Christians. Owning a Bible can mean instant execution. But Christians meet in secret and many Muslims seek Christ. Number two, Afghanistan, where Christians have to hide, even after death. Islamic extremism is everywhere. Christians are buried as Muslims because their relatives would be punished. But people still meet Christ in dreams. Number one, North Korea where leaders are worshipped like gods. There is no freedom. People live under constant surveillance. 50 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned. 
But in prisons and safe houses, North Koreans are coming to Christ. Open Doors exists to strengthen and support persecuted Christians wherever they are and for as long as they need it. Through the gifts and prayers of Open Doors supporters, our global underground networks are able to reach millions of Christians with food and medicine, spiritual care, smuggle Bibles and Christian books, training and legal advice. Homes are rebuilt, lives are rescued, churches restored. For over 60 years, Open Doors has stood with Christians whose faith puts them in danger, who dare to share Jesus no matter the cost. Because as Christians, we are family, one body, one church. And when your family is in danger, there's only really one question to ask. What will you do? Some people say that the world watch list and and persecution is really grim. It's uh, quite depressing, really. But to me, this gives us a list of hope and of inspiration. The list highlights so much injustice and suffering, but it also highlights faith as Christians are willing to live and to die for Jesus. They're prepared to defy persecution and live out the call of dangerous faith, sharing Jesus, no matter what the cost, even if they have to pay the ultimate price. And you say, well, how can I share in this? You've mentioned praying, of course, and giving, but We're not really suffering persecution. I don't know. I can think of times, even in this country, and it might become more prevalent as we go on, maybe not in my lifetime, but certainly in the lifetime of our children if we continue to go the way we're going. But I don't know if you've had those moments where you've declared that you go to church and you've heard the giggles behind your back as you walk away. Or you've said something about Jesus and that you've been very upfront and said you're a Christian and people look at you sideways. Often I know they don't even care these days, but if you've had those moments where you walk away and you can feel that shiver up the back of your spine, then that's suffering with Christ. But it means we have to say something first. That's what you've been talking about this morning, Andy, what you're trying to do here as a church. And I admire that because so many of us as Christians walk around and we keep ourselves safe because we don't expose ourselves to being different or thought as odd or somebody who's a bit strange and not quite got it up there. Paul was writing, you see, to encourage this Philippian church, a brave minority in the context of the Roman Empire. And today there are many different belief systems with the same demands for loyalty. And persecuted Christians defiantly declare there is only one Lord and his name is Jesus Christ. Let me tell you one story quickly about Mohan. And this is the introduction. (laughs) 
Mohan lost everything because of his faith in Jesus. He and his family were forced to leave their home, their farm, and their village community. Everything they knew. Mohan watched the men rip the tiles off his roof and pour the door off its hinges. He couldn't stop them as they pulled pulled, pulled his home apart. All he could do was protect his younger brother, sister, and widowed mother. Mohan is only 21, but he already knows what it means to give up everything he has to follow Christ. And knows the full cost of choosing loyalty to Christ over his culture. See, Mohan is from India. And he's, it's one of the most dangerous places in the world to follow Jesus. To be Indian now is to be Hindu. And extremist Hindu nationalism is a potent force in India. And persecution against Christians is increasing at an alarming rate. They actually have a goal, I don't know if you've heard, that the nation, and time is going on, so it's now next year, their plan is for the nation to be totally Hindu. They won't achieve that, of course, but that's their goal. The leader of the village community had already issued warnings to Mohan's family, that leave the church and this Jesus who you follow. But they refused to do that. And they'd only heard about Jesus a year before, when a visitor from another village had invited them to come to church. And uh, Mohan and his mother went to a service and the pastor prayed for them. And it was an encounter with Jesus that they'll never forget. It changed their lives. My eyes were closed in prayer, Mohan said, and I saw a light coming towards me. And I felt someone had opened my eyes. And during the church service, we've heard about this this morning, Mohan and his mother were both healed from illnesses that their village religion had failed to cure. On that day, they both gave their lives to Christ. After I accepted Jesus, people started opposing us, Mohan says, but having experienced God's healing and love, Mohan knew where his loyalty lay. He could never deny Jesus. Even the local police sided with the attackers but the police simply ordered Mohan and his mother not to go back to the village. And that's often the answer, you know, here. They do these things in this country and others with impunity because there's no recourse from the government and they do what they like to Christians. Open Doors partners, of course, have helped Mohan's family survive by providing goats, rice, food and letting them know that they are not alone but they have a family who stand alongside them. And because of their courage, three other families in their village have already come to Christ. When I was in Egypt, I saw for myself an amazing thing. I'd heard about it, but to actually witness it is truly special. And that was the enthusiasm and the growth of the church despite this continued opposition from Muslim radicals. Churches filling up, despite having to go through metal detectors. Deprived school children, responding to the sound of the gospel as they learn to read and write through the teaching given to them by Christian volunteers and our partners. 
and the enthusiasm they have to learn the word of God by heart. They showed us a video of one little girl and she recited a whole book of Peter. I mean, we didn't listen to it, but she'd learnt the whole book. It's just so amazing what God is doing in these circumstances. And the spread of God's word by Bibles as well. We found it rather strange, but Bibles are freely on sale in Egypt. And they walk off the shelves as well because people are interested in what God has to say. And so the church is growing despite persecution. It continues to grow and God will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Our partners also use uh, events as they did back in 2015 to distribute these leaflets. You may remember this tragic beheading of the Egyptians in Libya. 21 young Egyptians were beheaded. And a track called Two Rows in the Sea was produced in less than 36 hours after this tragedy and 1.6 million of them were distributed within 36 hours. Let me tell you one more story from Egypt and then we must move on. Time's running away. But I've got to tell you this story. My wife says, if you ever go anywhere, you must tell this story where you haven't told it before. Well, I went one place recently and they said, can you tell us that story again? So I'll tell you this story. True story of a pastor who'd come out of a, a prayer meeting that he'd been holding in his church and was on his way home. And as he was walking down the road, suddenly he felt two men grab him by the arms from behind. A black hood was placed over his head and he was bundled into the back of a van. And this pastor is thinking, Lord, this is, it's come to this now. I know what I can expect. We've all seen it in the films and everything else. And he's praying that whatever happens now, that he will just help him to remain faithful. That he will stand firm, no matter what happens to him, or what occurs. Anyway, this van is driving for quite some time and eventually comes to a stop. He's taken out the van and he's taken down some stairs and he's sat down in a chair and uh, he's thinking, I know what to expect now. They take the hood off, but there surrounding him are a number of imams who are sitting there in their full garb, headgear, black dresses, and he thinks, what now? And then the one in the centre says to him, Pastor, we're very sorry to bring you here like this. He said, we apologise, but we too worship the Lord God. We too come here in secret and in hiding to meet with him and we want to break bread. We want to take communion and we don't know how to do it. Will you lead us in that service? That's what God is doing in these countries. Ozo is a a pastor from Central Asia, the place where uh, all the stand countries are. And in Ozo's country, it's illegal to teach under-16s about Jesus. So what did he do? Well, he stepped down from his pastor's role to disciple children. If anyone was going to do the most dangerous job in the church, it was Ozo. And he said these words, persecution teaches you to really know Jesus and not just to know of him. 
You see, this was Paul's goal. Paul wanted greater intimacy with Jesus, to know him more deeply. And there's a deep truth that we too often miss. In our comfort, safety-driven culture, that when faith costs, when it's dangerous, you encounter Jesus more deeply. These are the times when we see God most clearly. Following Jesus is dangerous, but it will be worth it. And that's what Kim San Hua did when she faced the choice that she had. Did she betray or did she follow into a life of danger? I wonder, what will you do, as the video asks us? I believe it's what David Watson was referring to when he talks about discipleship. He's alluding to something that costs, and it's not easy. I believe it was David who actually said to his congregation once, he said, I could do this now, but I won't. I'll tell you what he did. (laughs) He said, "Um, who here loves the Lord Jesus Christ? All the arms went up. Who here is looking forward to seeing him one day? And the arms went up a bit higher. Who wants to go and see him now? Down came the hands. Why? Because there's a cost. In a moment we're going to pray, we're going to get together, we're going to have a time of fellowship together. If you want to come up and and pray, if you want to ask some questions, as Andy's already said, John's here um, to, to help as well. We have literature, so we can gather in that time and make that a time of fellowship and worship and thinking about our brothers and sisters. But before we do that, I just want to ask you um, about responding to those 260 million Christians. And as we've already pointed out, we've, we've got a number of ways of doing that. And we know as a church that you support Open Doors anyway. But if you wanted to do something individually today, there's something I've got here for you um, that I'll sell you for £10. What it is, is a daily devotional. Um, You can see it's not got anything on it because it's secret. But it is a daily devotional. And uh, it's got a reading, it's got a reflection, and then how we can respond. Just one for each day. And um, there's some very good thoughts in there and some very good little stories. But you say, well, Graham, that's a bit steep, isn't it? £10 for a (laughs) little devotional like that. Well, I'll tell you what, if you buy one of those today, then that £10 will put a whole Bible, Old and New Testament, in the hands of a North Korean believer. So that's what you're paying for, really, but you get this as a bonus. So if you want to buy one of those afterwards, then you can do that. Please come and see us. But please continue to pray. Please continue to support. Please continue to speak up on behalf of your family. I remember when I started with Open Doors that I had to get together a talk on my own with very little material. Now John's around, we get hosts of material, which is great. But I said, you know, if your family member was in trouble, what would you do? What would you do if your family member was in trouble? You'd do all that you possibly could, wouldn't you? And we need to remember... These brothers and sisters are our family. 
and we need to do everything that we can do. Can I say that normally I say to you, we've got the world watch list here, and I have got a few copies actually, the full booklet that gives you all the information. But what we're trying to encourage you to do this year, if you would, is we'll give you the leaflets, which tell you about the top 10 and the map and everything else. But I've also got some sign-up cards. And if you sign up those cards, if you do it today, then we'll happily give you one of those, of those booklets. But just as an incentive, we're trying to get more people to actually individually sign up, just so we can contact you from time to time. And uh, if you do that, then we'll happily give you one of our World Watch lists uh, as well today. So, folks, that's it. Finally, finally, that's our conference this year in October. If you want to sign up for that, you can do that on the, uh, the website. But we're now going to a time of, of just sharing together. And uh, perhaps the way we'll start this, um, please come in if you want to. So, yeah, please come in. Um, let's just pray, shall we? Just for a moment, let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the example of our brothers and sisters, how we can learn so much from them, how we can see what dangerous faith really looks like. And we just pray, Father, this morning that you will help us to live dangerously for you. So often we'll not say something when we know we should. Help us just to say that thing. We know we live in a totally different society but nevertheless, the cost can be just as high in a different way. Help us to be like that, Lord. Help us to encourage one another. Help us to read Paul's words as encouragement to us to carry on a dangerous faith for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, is there anybody who would like to... Uh, ask a question or would like to um, come and pray, would like to do something. How did I get involved? I can tell you exactly how I got involved with Open Doors. It was a long time ago now, but my daughter's friend was raising some money uh, for a charity, she said. And she came home, Dad, Dad, will you give some money to this charity? So I said, who are they then? Open doors, what's that? Who are they? And I, I gave a gift to open doors. And as a result of that, I received some literature through. And then without going into all the boring details, but as a result of what happened in our spiritual walk, I turned around to my wife someday and I said, I think that's something I could do. So I ended up getting more involved and going to conferences and then eventually they allowed me to... Well, I used to I go out preaching a little bit and uh, speaking and I used to speak unofficially. Don't tell John that. I used to speak unofficially about Open Doors, but then I thought I had to make it official. So I logged on. But that's how I first got involved, yeah. yeah. So it was somebody else. Somebody else talking and telling. Yes, please. Asia Bibi, that's right, yes. Yeah, well, Asia Bibi, of course, was uh, released 
last year? Yeah, yeah, last year, wasn't it? She was released. She was imprisoned in Pakistan uh, for nothing more than saying, what has Mohammed done for you to these women who were around the world? But she was accused of blasphemy. She was put into prison. She was in prison for something like 10 years. And then the case became quite um, well known, didn't it? And uh, what happened is a, a lawyer kind of went and represented her and she was finally released last year from prison and she uh, left the country and is now living in Canada. But she recently met with our Open Doors uh, people when she was in France um, just uh, a little while ago, at the end of February, I believe it was. And uh, she wanted to thank everybody who had been praying for her because she believed it was the power of prayer that saw her through. She never gave up her faith. We know her health was failing towards the end, but she never gave up. And she, she realizes now the strength that she gained while she was in prison was uh, the fact that people have been constantly praying for her and remembering her um, in her plight. And then she was released and she's been reunited with her family. Yes. Sorry, Andy. Yes? How does Open Door get in touch with local churches in these countries? I mean, do you reach out to individual churches or do they get do churches approach Open Door? That, yeah, what we, what we try and do is through people like myself, we try and contact local churches where we live. I think we've just appointed some area representatives now, haven't we, that have, uh, are trying to actually contact churches on a more sort of official, regular basis. But we write, we ask to come and speak. Um, we'll do whatever we can to get in front of people like you <laughs> to, uh, to encourage you to join in the courageous battle. Yeah. I think some of what Diana was asking as well is how open doors get in touch with churches in countries where there's persecution. Oh. How, how does that look like? Well, I could tell you that, but I have to shoot you. So, uh, no, um, in terms of that, we work with partners in other countries, and um, obviously that's been established over a number of years. Uh, open door started, as you probably know, we've got his book over there through bro- Brother Andrew who started taking book, Bibles into Czechoslovakia. There's a famous story. He's got his Beetle Volkswagen full of Bibles, and they, he searched by customs, and he just prays, Lord, you know, you may blind eyes see, make these seeing eyes blind. And they searched, you know, off you go. <laughs> and he got through. And they never had one Bible confiscated. I mean, it was miracle after miracle. And that's how the work started. And then it built from there. But that, you're talking going back to the 50s, you see, 1950s. So it's been going on a long time. And gradually people were met and they wanted to join in the work and help. And secret underground things were started. Um, and it went on from there. Okay. Yeah. Lovely. Thank you. No, thank you, Graham. I mean, yeah, do that, no, do, no, that no. do that, do that, do that. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> It's both, both moving and challenging. And just if you want to continue the conversation, obviously, with both John and Graham, do so. Once more, just encouragement you know, to support and do everything we can. But really appreciate just for sharing your heart and also your passion and the information. It's been really, really good today. So thank you. Thank you, Graham. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Thank you very much. It's just worth saying as well that obviously we can, you know, like John said, you can... 
sign up for the open door stuff, but we also, um, you know, one of our prayer hours, the prayer hour that meets on a Thursday at 3.45 in the office when we pray for Israel, for Egypt, and for the persecuted church very often, and we're using open doors material when we do that. So if you want to, if you're ever free at that point and you want to come and join in that prayer hour, then um, that's one where we have a specific kind of focus uh, on that.